Hello, and welcome to the Sidelines Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Getman, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Sidelines Literary and Art Magazine here at Simmons University. Today, I speak with best-selling author Anita Diamond, writer of The Red Tent and Boston Girl. We discuss her history with writing in her forthcoming book, Period and Descendants, which will be released in late May. Enjoy. My name is Anita Diamond. I'm a writer, and uh, I live in the Boston area. lived here for a long time. Awesome. So um, I read in an interview that you've done all different types of writing. So you were once a poet, and then you went to journalism, and you went to fiction writing. So what was it like for you to switch between the different writing types? Like, what do you prefer? Do you miss writing poetry? What, like, what gets you inspired about writing? Uh, it's been a very unplanned career as a writer, I have to say. I moved to Boston after a couple of years of graduate school. Um, I wanted to write poetry. You can't make a living writing poetry. <laughs> I started writing grant proposals. I got a job writing grant proposals and um, joined a group of women who did uh, had a poetry writing group. And I actually, my first published uh, art thing that ever was published was in a, a newspaper called In These Times, which was a weekly democratic socialist newspaper out of Chicago. And it was a poem about basketball. <laughs> and uh, I actually became a sports writer for the for In These Times. I knew nothing about sports. It was the beginning of uh, Title IX and women, uh, women playing sports. So I, that's how I sort of started journalism and uh, writing poetry. Um, sort of fell by the wayside and I became a journalist sort of um, and learned on the job. And I worked for a couple of uh, uh, publications in the Boston area, first for something called Equal Times, which was a women's biweekly. And then I got a job at the Boston Phoenix, which was a weekly alternative newspaper and wrote all kinds of stuff. I wrote columns and feature stories and about everything, about anything that I wanted actually. And um, from there, I went to Boston Magazine for a few years and uh, started writing books while I was there. I wrote a book about Jewish weddings, my first book. And then I, um, I left Boston Magazine and started writing a column for the Boston Globe Magazine and had a freelance career for many years. So none of this was planned. It just sort of happened. Yeah. <laughs> the way careers think- sometimes do. Yeah, definitely. Especially with writing careers, we just kind of find ourselves ending up exactly where we need to be, even if we didn't intend it that way. <laughs> or we had no idea where we needed to be, actually. Yeah, beginning, so. exactly. So um, talking about your journalism career, you mentioned to me that you're working on a new book right now mm-hmm. called Period End of Sentence. So I'd yeah. like to talk about that. Um you said it kind of goes back into your journalistic roots and it's like a compilation of essays. So I'm wondering what your process is. You know, you've written so many like um, prose work. What's it like creating a book that's all essays now moving from the prose to the more journalistic side again? Well, um, I've written I've written per first person columns that were prose for many years for the for the Phoenix, for the Globe, for Boston Magazine, for Parenting Magazine. So I'm used to writing pieces that are, that both have my own voice and also include reporting. So this is very much part of what I've done all along. And I've continued to write 
that kind of piece um, occasionally for various publications and now mostly for Cognoscenti, which is the local NPR stations sort of op-ed page. Uh, so this was material, this is a way of writing that I'm actually quite comfortable with. And, um, but I hadn't done anything quite like such large reporting pieces for quite a long time. I wrote it during COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was a very intense period of time. All the reporting was virtual. It's the first time I've ever worked completely virtually, used a lot of um, internet sources because the book yeah. is well, it has a global uh, focus as well. So it was comfortable in some ways. It was challenging also because it was a short deadline. And I learned a lot, which is the great joy of, of writing, of doing journalism, the kind of journalism I do, is that I got to learn things I never thought I would ever find out about. I um, sort of got deep into the subject. And uh, it, was, it was a process. It's, it's done. It's going to be public. It's, uh, the publication date is uh, the end of May. Awesome. So it, it's in the can. It's being yeah. printed. It's being printed. Very, <laughs> yeah. Very excited to read it. And like, I commend you for being so productive over COVID. I know it was a, a good thing of... to do. Yeah. I'll yeah. show you the cover. You want to see the cover? Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This is a podcast, so nobody can see it. But it's <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> you can post a picture of it if you like. It's very hot pink. Yes, I love it. So for our <laughs> listeners, it's hot pink and it's got flowers and the traditional feminist fist on it. It looks great. I'm so excited <laughs> to read it. It's fun. It's fun. I think it's fun. And it's very serious. It's very sad. It's got humor in it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah, so, and part of the reason I was approached to do this book, uh, well, there are a few, the main reason I think is the red tent, because that's sort yeah, of what of I'm course. best known for. And because that book includes the red tent itself is a menstrual tent, as I imagined it. And, and as it happens, I had also written a couple of editorials about, about menstrual injustice in different parts of the world, both locally and in Nepal, where uh, women have died in menstrual huts over the years. So this is something that stays, stays with me. So um, they approached me to do it. And because I had been interested in this subject in terms of its justice, aspect, I said yes. Yeah, awesome. So can you talk a little bit more about the research process? Like, who did you reach out to? Who did you talk to? You said it was global. So, you know, what kind of communities were you targeting for these essays? Um, targeting. I, I was just trying to get an overview of a very large subject, uh, mm -hmm. which was which which grew as I learned more about it. Uh, the 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 basis of the issue is misogyny and the mm -hmm. fact that women's bodies are considered other and less than and have been for eons in most, most cultures around the world. So, uh, so the way that's expressed in different places is very different. So in, um, in Western culture, in some, in some countries, in some periods of time, women were forbidden to handle food because they thought it would it would ruin the food, it would curdle mm -hmm. milk. And there are still places in parts of the world where women are, stay out of the kitchen, in fact, are while they're menstruating because there's this sense that they're gonna pollute the food. That, that the fact of menstruating is, uh, that, that menstruation itself is a pollution in the world. And that's, that's a kind of intense and, and very embedded idea. Yeah. And shining light on that is shining light on one of the great 
flies of, of human civilization, which is that women are not people. Yeah. And so this sort of proves in, in some mindsets that women are not people. They're less than, other than, different from people who are men who don't bleed. So that's, yeah. that's sort of the, the frame for it. And then I, um, because it's such a huge topic and because it's so global and because it has different expressions in different places, I broke it into different sections just to get my arm around it. It's not a long book. It's not mm -hmm. encyclopedic. It's, um, it's my understanding of different aspects of it. So the subjects include, um, there's a, a subject, uh, uh, a section called uh, The Struggle, which is about uh, fighting against period poverty, mm -hmm. the problems of menstruating at work, uh, the, the real terrible issues that, uh, that confront women of color, yeah. incarcerated people who have menstruation, who menstruate, uh, refugees who are in situations where they can't handle, they can't take care of themselves either. And the, and the, the fact that you can't take care of your own physical needs becomes a source of shame on top of the sort of the shame metaphor that's, uh, that mothers are understanding of our own bodies. So, yeah. So I learned a lot. I talked to people. I did a lot. A lot of it is internet research. A lot of it was reading mm -hmm. stories in newspapers from around the world, uh, looking at medical journals, looking at uh, UN reports. And I did some interviews with people as well. Dr. Jen Gunter, who's uh, written a book called The Vagina Bible and has a new book coming out on menstruation was helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, and I talked to people who work with refugees, people who work with uh, homeless population, but a lot of it was virtual. A lot of it was text-based online. Which yeah. is not, I'm, I'm much more used to doing a combination of that and yeah, and face to even in person interviews, which of course couldn't happen. Yeah. So clearly you've had, you've done so much research. You've had so many different stories told to you. What story sticks out to you the most out of all of the ones that you've uh, researched for this book? If there's just one <laughs> well there's not the the ones that uh there are few i i very there's there's a lot of great menstrual humor uh <laughs> believe it or not uh my my uh my queen is michelle wolf who's a comedian who's very funny and does very funny stuff about menstruation and she's and it's not uh, making fun of it's like she's she says i know i talk about menstruation a lot but we have to stop being cute about it we have to be honest about what this is so that people so that women get the healthcare and, and what they need. Uh, the other thing that really le leapt out at me was the fact that I found examples of civilizations and cultures where women are honored and girls when they start their periods are actually celebrated and honored and the whole mm -hmm. community knows what's happened. There's no secrecy. In fact, it's a community event. Uh, it's seen as part of uh, the affirmation of the continuation of the culture of Native American tribes, uh, peoples in, indigenous peoples in uh, in Australia, in New Zealand, in parts of Northern India, uh, in parts of Africa, there are tr ancient traditions of uh, honoring, celebrating, and really lifting up the whole notion of menstruation. So that that was that was a real uh, eye opener. It made me uh, yeah, it gave me hope. Yeah, that's beautiful. Kind of a piggyback question, if you will. What gives you the most hope for menstrual justice out of this experience? Do you see progress? Do you see, you know, what makes you 
hopeful for the future for future generations. The book is dedicated to quote for the spectacular young people who are making the change. So I think there's the that millennials and Gen Z women in particular um, and menstruators in general are just not having it anymore. They're just not willing to yeah. pretend that it's not happening. Who say who just aren't willing to take it? There's one of my favorite stories is from a friend whose 15 year old daughter came home from high school. Curious. She said, why do I have to hide my pads? What is this? Why do I have to do that? And her mother said, well, no one's ever asked the question before. And she said, well, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. That's period. That's it. You know, there's like no further. It's so obviously clear to her and to other members of her generation. that This is not okay. And, you know, I want to talk to the manager. This is not all right. We have to change this. And yeah. in my own town of Brookline, uh, there was a high school student who wrote an editorial in her high school newspaper that menstrual products should be free in, in her high school, in public buildings. And somebody on the city council saw that. And as a result of that high school student's editorial, uh, menstrual products are now free in all public buildings in this town. And oh, that's wow. happening all over the world. And college campuses uh, are real hotbeds for this. And, and this is yeah. kind of a very um, basic notion that if there's toilet paper in the bathroom, there should be period products in the bathroom. That's yeah. it. It's just a part of human life. And, uh, and for even people who don't get it at first, if you, if you say to somebody, are you carrying toilet paper with you everywhere you go and paper towels to wash your hands after you go to the bathroom? No. Well, then why not this? <laughs> so it seems incredibly obvious, but it hasn't been. It is to a whole generation of young women, or a large part of the generation of younger people. And I think the change is happening slowly. And surely. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think there's a lot of hope um, coming up with this issue and especially because books like this are being written and being distributed um, by well-known authors and it's it's not exactly a secret as it used to be anymore. Actually, if you, the first thing I did when I started working on this was to uh, do a Google alert for menstruation every day, dozens, dozens of stories about um, Scotland uh, has made uh, menstrual products free for anybody who can't afford them. Mm -hmm. uh, state after state is getting rid of taxes on, on menstrual products in a way that, you know, so they, in the same way that like prescription drugs and over-the-counter medications aren't taxed, but in some places um, menstrual products are taxed. Yeah. And, uh, and in some states, menstrual products are, tax are taxed and firecrackers are not taxed. So yeah. there's this sort of sense that, that it's coming up. So if you, I'm telling you, if you Google menstruation and put it on your Google alerts, you will see an entire universe and the whole globe involved in efforts to change the way we understand, talk about, and, and, and feel about the body that bleeds. Yeah. So you've written some amazing books that have gotten so much praise. Do you worry that this book may not measure up because of the topic? <laughs> Uh, no, I, mean, I don't worry about that. I hope it finds its audience. Yeah. Um, I always worry as a, as somebody who writes nonfiction that I got everything right. I try very hard not to, uh, make mistakes. And if there are, if there are mistakes and there always are that they're, uh, they're minor and they're, they're not harmful. They don't, they don't denigrate anybody. So that's, those are my biggest concerns about writing nonfiction. Um, yeah. it's finding its audience. And after I wrote The Red Tent, everything I wrote after that was, because that book was 
so popular because it touched so many hearts. Everything I wrote after it was compared to that and nothing that showed up. So I'm kind <laughs> of, I'm kind of used to it. Used to it. <laughs> to be okay. honest, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So what advice can you give to young writers, journalists, even poets um, mm-hmm. that are starting to enter the career or thinking about going in this direction? I've been asked this for a long time and the mm-hmm. field has changed. Everything about writing has changed so dramatically since, um, since I started. When I started writing, I mean, I was, I did write on computers from the beginning from typewriters in high school in the minute I could write on a computer, I did. But um, the, the publishing world has changed. The world of periodicals has changed. Everything has changed so dramatically that my experience is, is so different from what's happening now. At the same time, I think if you want to be a writer, you have to read a lot. And I encourage yeah. people to read. It's, it's a cliche and every writer is going to tell you this. Read as much as you can, as broadly as you can. Read in translation. Read books from and whatever material you're interested in from different historical periods, from different cultures, from different countries. And just get as much into your head as you possibly can. Um, I think writing teachers can be very helpful. I think writing groups can be very helpful. And um, you, have to, you have to get used to rejection yeah. early and know that it's, um, that's just part of the process. And it's, got, it's both easier and harder to get published because of the internet. You can, you can share what you write basically with the entire universe. Uh, but because there's so much out there, reaching your audience, reaching an audience is terribly challenging. Print is, print is never going away. I don't think print is yeah. going away. Uh, and because of the exigencies of capitalism and making a profit, it's, a, it's an increasingly narrow doorway to get in because you have to make money mm-hmm. for the corporation that owns the publishing company. And that's tough and it's gotten tougher over time. So at the same time, and people say, what would you do if you weren't a writer? And I actually don't know what else I would do. I don't know how to do anything else. So yeah. if you, it's like, it's like any of the arts. If you have to do this, if there's nothing else that satisfies your soul, that's what you do. And yeah. you support yourself as best you can. So many people I know are wonderful writers and teach because, because they can't make a living as writers. And they, they do feed each other to some extent, but it's still... It's hard to have two have two careers at the same time. It's yeah. what it's what waitresses who are actresses, what what um, you know, people who want who um, who are painters teach painting or or do whatever else they can do to support their habit of of the arts. That's that's kind of the universal story, especially in a country like ours where the arts are not supported by the government. At yeah, all, or virtually. Yeah, I had a writing teacher once tell me that um, the reason like creativity will never go away because everything is being automated and it's the only thing that can't be automated is creativity and writing and art. So that gives well, there are me other hope. things too. <laughs> other things yeah. too. There's care and there's uh, you know, I'm I immediately thought of nursing as a, yeah, something definitely. that you cannot automate. But yeah, no, it's and all of the automation comes from creativity also, right? All yeah. of these amazing the fact that we're doing this virtually is a gift. We get to talk to each other, even though there's pandemic outside. And that's thanks to really smart people who worked in their garages and were creative in a whole different way. So creativity is one of the things we do, (laughs) human beings. 
So I have two final questions for you. One, what are you reading right now? <laughs> New Yorker. <laughs> I'm not reading. I'm... Okay, I'll go. Then what's the second one? We'll do them both. <laughs> second one is where can listeners find you? Are you on Instagram? Are you on Facebook? Where can listeners like learn more about you? Um, what am I reading right now? I, I don't read a whole lot when I'm writing something, when I'm working mm -hmm. on something, because I sort of, I'm reading for the thing that I'm working on. So I, I actually found it really hard to read uh, during, uh, during COVID and to concentrate this way. Um, I've, I have read a lot in terms of what I'm, the research for the book. Um, again, most of it online. Although I do have a small stack of books about menstruation as well, but um. So I do still use, I still use books and I still interview people, but I, and I also have a very short attention span. If I don't like something mm -hmm. within 50 pages or 70 pages, I'm done. Uh, I read the paper, I read newspapers, both online and in print. And I read the New Yorker every week. And I, um, and if, if somebody sends me, if one of my friends sends me something they think is really important for me to read, I'll read that. Yeah. But I, I've had a hard time reading books for a while. Yeah, I read poetry, which uh, is both um, soothing. It's also a palate cleanser for somebody who works with words all the time. It's a really different way of Definitely. using words. And I actually get a lot of inspiration from the other arts, from uh, music and theater, which I watch. Uh, I watch a lot of live theater on Zoom <laughs> on, <laughs> on my computer. And, um, and the storytelling, I have to say, the storytelling now on television is phenomenal. Yeah. screens it's just it's it's uh, a new form of it's, it's not a new form but it's a uh, it's a renewed and expanded form of storytelling yeah so definitely. so that's what I'm that's what I'm not reading <laughs> mm -hmm. um I am I have a website of course and I have a, a blog that I'm not terribly attentive to or haven't been I write so for instance today I have a piece published on Cognoscenti, which I'll put up on my web, on my uh, blog, on my website. I do have a Facebook page. I have an author Facebook page. I'm on Twitter. Um, I have yet to find my way into Instagram in any meaningful <laughs> way, although my daughter keeps telling me to do that. Um, so yeah, so I'm not hard to find, and awesome. I, I, uh, awesome. And I, love, I love hearing from readers. I do. Yeah. Well, thank unless you so much. Unless they really, for... unless they hate me, unless they hate me. <laughs> Mostly I, I mostly I get great lovely emails and I tend to answer. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for talking with me and taking the time to talk with me. Um, it's my pleasure. I, you know, I'm a big fan yeah. of, of Simmons and um, Simmons played a big part in my most recent novel, which is The Boston Girl. Yeah. So it, I, feel, I feel like an honorary alumna, although I have absolutely no right to feel that way, <laughs> but I feel very, I, um, I feel really good about it. So I'm, I, I, blog you and your publication, which I think is really lovely. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this interview with Anita Diamond. If you're interested in learning more about her, check out her website, anitadiamond.com, and be on the lookout for period end of sentence. If you want to learn more about Sidelines, please check out our website, sidelinesmagazine.wordpress.com, and follow us on Instagram at sidelines underscore magazine underscore. If you're interested in submitting work to Sidelines Magazine, please do so by emailing sidelines at simmons.edu. See you next time!